that song is based on the Apostles' Creed, and um, I'd like for you to join me in just uh, saying the Apostles' Creed with me right now. We'll put those words on the screen. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Uh, So in 2009, we started New Denver Church from scratch. And when you start a church from scratch, there's all sorts of decisions uh, that you have to make, all sorts of questions you have to ask. And one of those questions was this, what will be our statement of faith? What will be our statement of faith? And, and every church that I'm aware of has a statement of faith. Oftentimes it might be called a doctrinal statement or uh, a statement of beliefs, but, but every church has one. And if you happen to be a denominational church, uh, you usually have a denominational uh, statement of faith. So, for example, uh, if you're a Southern Baptist church, your statement of faith is probably the Baptist faith and message. It was a statement written uh, a long time ago. And, um, and if you were, it has all these different sections to it and all these different doctrines that it outlines. And if you were to print it out, it's about seven pages uh, single-spaced. Um, if you are a Presbyterian church, uh, your statement of faith is probably the Westminster Confession of Faith, which was written uh, almost 400 years ago. And if you were to print this out, it's 151 pages single-spaced which tells you a little bit about Presbyterians, right? They are precise and systematic and very comprehensive, right? Now, if you're a Methodist uh, church or an Episcopal church or a Pentecostal church, if you're part of any denomination or tradition, you probably have um, a denominational statement of faith. But what do you do when you're a non-denominational church? And what do you do when you're starting a church from scratch? Well, you usually create your own statement of faith. That's what non-denominational churches do. Usually the leaders get together, and uh, when they're starting the church, they sort of begin to talk about what do we want our core statement of faith to be? What do we think that the Bible teaches or Christianity teaches about the most important aspects of faith. And so uh, when we started New Denver back in 2009, um, we had uh, meetings uh, with leaders. And so Stephen and myself and uh, Jason, who was one of the founding pastors, we would get together. Sometimes we'd go hiking like this and we'd have all these long discussions. Um, and, and by the way, who thinks we need to bring beardless Stephen back? He is so youthful in that picture, right? Uh, I think we need to bring him back. So um, we would have all these discussions and we, uh, we would ask this question. What do we want our statement of faith to be? And we ended up making two really important decisions. Um, two decisions that um, I, I, I hadn't really seen in any other non-denominational church we knew. We decided uh, the Apostles' Creed would be our statement of faith at New Denver. 
And we decided that we would say the Apostles' Creed just like we did a couple of minutes ago regularly during our worship services. Now, these were different from um, most other non-denominational churches because, as I said, they usually create their own statement of faith because when you're non-denominational, you're sort of non-denominational for a reason. You kind of think you're doing something new. You don't want to be a part of the old traditions. You don't want to fit into any existing boxes or categories. Non-denominational churches usually have this sort of independent and pioneering spirit. And we were a bit like that. I mean, we were starting this church from scratch because we wanted to do something new and we felt like we were part of something new that God was doing here in our city. And so literally the word new is right in our name. And so why in the world would we pick this really old, 1,800 years old creed as our statement of faith? And then on top of that, why would we say it regularly in our worship services? I mean, maybe you grew up in a, in a church that did this, uh, a Catholic church or a, a Lutheran church or a, an Anglican church. And, and maybe you even remember saying some of these creeds as a kid and it was kind of boring and you didn't really understand it. And people seemed to be just kind of mouthing the words and they didn't even know what they were saying. And there were words in there that, that you didn't really understand. And, and so when we started New Denver, we wanted to be a church that was engaging and, and helpful and relevant to people wherever they were in their journey of faith. So, so why would we say this really old and maybe even feeling kind of dull and boring and I don't fully understand it, creed regularly. Well, for the next three weeks, we're basically just going to answer that question. In the series we called We Believe, Why We Say the Apostles Creed. We're going to talk about why we made this our statement of faith, why we think it's important, why we've embraced it and welcomed it, why we say it Regularly, and why it shapes a really important part of who we are as a church. So let me give you a preview of some things we're going to be talking about. Um, today I'm just going to talk about uh, why creeds are important and tell you a few things about creeds in general. And then um, if you're sort of nerdy and you're interested in the origins and the history of the Apostles' Creed, I'm going to do a podcast on that this week, and so you can listen to that. That's sort of extra. And then next Sunday we're going to talk specifically about why the Apostles' Creed is so important. And then we'll do an extra podcast where we just sort of go through the Apostles' Creed line by line and talk about some of the parts of the creed. And then the last week of the series um, might be the most relevant or important. We're going to talk about what about those things, those theological things even outside of the creed that maybe there's some differences on. Are they not important? And what do we do about those? And how have we had to navigate some of those things as a church? So let's talk about um, today uh, why creeds are important. And I want to just give you three statements. It might help to write these down and then you can revisit them later and sort of think about them. Um, But here's the first. Creeds clarify what we believe about God. Creeds clarify what we believe about God. That's really what a creed is. Uh, The word creed comes from an old Latin word. Um, It's the verb credere, which simply means to believe. And so a creed, at its heart, is a statement of belief, particularly about what you believe about God. And it's not just any statement. It's not just something that you sort of make up on the spot or you're sort of thinking out loud. It's a a statement that a group of people kind of sits down and they think about and they reflect on and they come to some some well-thought-out conclusions. This is what we believe about God. 
Uh, the two most well-known creeds in history that you might have heard of are the Apostles' Creed, as we said earlier, and another one called the Nicene Creed. But there's actually creeds in the Bible as well. Now, now interestingly, the, the word creed doesn't show up in the Bible because creed comes from later in church history. That's a word that's not used when the Bible's written. So there's nowhere that's going to say this is a creed. They don't use that sort of terminology in the Bible. But there are these statements of faith that are clearly uh, well articulated and put together by a group of people to help articulate what they believe about God. And I want to just read one of them for you. This comes from the nation of Israel. It's in the book of Deuteronomy, and this is what it says. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And this statement becomes a creed for the nation of Israel. In fact, it's given a name. It's called the Shema. And Jewish people still say this today, every time they gather. Um, it's called the Shema because the first word uh, in Hebrew for the word here, that's actually the Hebrew word Shema. Shema means here. And so the whole statement just becomes known as the Shema. And Jewish people would grow up saying the Shema over and over and over. This is what we believe. This is what gives identity to us as a people and to our faith. And there's a few important parts to it. Uh, The first is they would say, the Lord our God, or the Lord is our God. And that word Lord in all capitals there is really the Hebrew word Yahweh. It's the personal name that God gave to the people of Israel when he was rescuing them from Egypt. And he said, I'm going to rescue you and save you and deliver you. And they said, what should we call you? And he said, I am your God. My name is Yahweh. That's what you can call me. And so from that point on, this statement is basically saying we have a God who is personal and who loves us and who saves us. That's what we believe. And then it says the Lord or Yahweh is one, which is a huge statement. At this time in history, every other culture around Israel and really every other culture in the world, you probably remember learning this in school, was what? They were polytheistic. This meant they worshipped many gods. There were gods that controlled uh, the sun and the moon and fertility and the plants and the weather and all these different things. And so they worshipped all these gods. But Israel was different. For the first time, really, in history, they're saying, no, 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 we don't believe in all of those gods. We believe something very different. We believe... That Yahweh is the one true God. And we worship Him. And then that compels a response from us. And the response is we are going to love, give all of our hearts and all of our souls and all of our strength and all of our lives to this God that we worship and that we believe in. And this Statement: The Shema is said over and over and over. It is a creed. In fact, a thousand years later, you'll get to Jesus, and he's saying it. And people are asking him, what's the most important thing? And he's saying, this is it. It's the Shema. That's the most important thing. And so you have these creeds. Now, followers of Jesus most of whom early followers of Jesus were Jewish, would have grown up saying the Shema, and they still would have affirmed that and believed that. But then you'll actually see in the New Testament, there's some new statements that are added to that. And we don't have time to go through them, but there's some new statements about who Jesus is. 
and why he came and how he was sent from God. And it's clear in some of Paul's writings that some of these statements are well thought out and they're formulated and they're things that people as followers of Jesus are beginning to say over and over and over in churches when they gather And so that's the first thing that's so important about creeds. It's how they work. They clarify what we believe about God. Here's the second thing. Uh, Creeds are more about believing in than believing that. And this is a huge distinction. So let me unpack it a little bit. There are many layers of belief. Uh, The first layer of belief would be some uncertainty. Right? Maybe you ask me, hey, did your wife Janice go to the grocery store yesterday? I might say, uh, I believe she did. I mean, I didn't see her go to the store. But there was this one time where she was gone for like an hour. And then I looked in the fridge and there was a whole bunch more stuff in the fridge later. And so I, I believe she went. I guess I'm not certain she went. Maybe she didn't. Maybe, I, I don't know. I guess I'm not certain. So there's some uncertainty. But I believe she went. I think She went. So that's sort of layer one belief. Uh, Layer two belief is greater confidence. You might ask me, hey, what do you think about Abraham Lincoln? And I would say, I believe Abraham Lincoln was the greatest president in U.S. history. You say, really? Why do you believe that? Well, actually, I'm a historian. I've studied this. I've read about all of these different presidents. I've sort of compared what he did compared to what other presidents did and the, face, the, the circumstances they had to face. And, and I just, I truly believe, I have come to the conclusion, I think and I believe he is the greatest president in U.S. history. Now, I'm willing to listen to your thoughts about it. If you think somebody else is, I'm willing to entertain those things. But for me, I'm sort of persuaded with a lot of confidence. I believe he's the greatest president. Now, when people talk about believing that God exists, I think they're talking about it on this level. Usually it's, I believe that God exists. And here's why. I've studied this. I've thought about it. Here's sort of the arguments or the reasoning. Here's the conclusions I've come to about why I believe that God exists. And I feel pretty strongly about it. And then you'll find other people that are the exact opposite. I believe God does not exist. And here's why. Like, I've done my study, and I've come to my reasons, and I've heard all the arguments, and I've come to this conclusion. And then you'll find other people who say, well, I believe we can't even know if God exists, and here's why I believe that. But there's greater confidence in this. Now, these first two levels, whether there's some uncertainty or greater confidence, they're mostly about what we believe up here. They're mental calculations that we're making. And we make mental judgments all day long about things that we believe that are true or that are not true. And some with greater uncertainty and some with greater levels of confidence. But then there's another layer. It's less about what you believe up here and it's more about what you believe in here. And that's the third layer. And I would call this deep trust. You see, this is believing in, not just believing that. Uh, Believing in is when you're a little kid at the edge of the pool. And mom or dad is in the pool holding out their arms saying, jump in and I'll catch you. And it's not really or primarily a mental calculation at that point if you're a little kid. 
I mean, that might factor into it. Maybe you saw your siblings jumping in earlier and you saw mom or dad catch them. Maybe you know the pool is shallow and so it's not going to be that dangerous. Maybe you know your dad works out and he's strong and surely he can catch me. So, so there's some, some mental calculations that might be going on in your head and, and they might lead you to varying levels of uncertainty or confidence. But we all know at the end of the day, if you're that little kid, you're going to jump because you have trust. <laughs> Because you personally know this person. If a stranger was saying jump, like you wouldn't do it. But you know this person and you trust in them. And it's something that you feel and you ultimately choose in your heart. It's a decision you make to put your trust in, the, in your life in the hands of this person who says they will catch you. And so when we say the apostles creed together, it's really important to realize And we're not saying, I believe that God exists. Or I believe that Jesus died on the cross. As if we're of the opinion that these things are true. Or as if we're not really sure if they're true, but we're hoping they're true. Or, or even, even at the layer of, we've studied all of this and we've come to the conclusion and we're absolutely convinced that these things are true. Maybe some of that is actually going on, but that's not what the Apostles' Creed says. The Apostles' Creed says, we believe in God, the Father, which is a whole lot more a statement of trust. It's, it's a whole lot more like that kid jumping into her father's arms, maybe jumping with a little bit of fear, maybe jumping with a little bit of trepidation. Maybe jumping not with the sense that I've studied this issue and I know beyond all doubt Dad's going to catch me safely. No, she jumps because she's expressing her trust. She's believing in Him. Maybe even more than she's believing that He will catch her. So, creeds are more about believing in than believing that. And that leads to one final statement. And it's this. Uh, creeds are bigger than our personal doubts. We don't say the Apostles' Creed is a whole bunch of individuals sitting here today agreeing to every single statement that we read in our heads because we have 100% confidence and certainty that every single statement is true. In fact, perhaps when we said it earlier, or maybe in your past, if you've ever been in a church service where people have said this, maybe you've read it and you've thought, huh, I'm not sure I believe all that. There's actually some statements in there that, I mean, it might be true, but I've got some questions about that. I've got some doubts about that. And maybe you even feel weird saying it, right? Like, should I be saying this out loud? Maybe I'll just mouth the words of that section. Maybe I shouldn't say the whole thing. If I can't agree to the whole thing, then I shouldn't agree to any part. Like, like so maybe you're having these thoughts in your mind. Like, I don't know that I should be saying this because I'm not sure I fully believe all of this. And that's what we have to recognize. That the creed is not a, a personal statement of faith. It's about so, something so much bigger than ourselves. Uh, Kathleen Norris is a writer. She was a poet, and uh, she was somebody who grew up in church, and then she ventured away from God. She didn't believe in God anymore. She didn't go to church anymore. She sort of set all of that on the shelf and said, that's not part of my life anymore. And then as an adult, she made this long journey 
of faith back to God. And in one of her books, she tells a story of um, an Orthodox priest who's giving a talk at Yale Divinity School about the creeds, and specifically about the Apostles' Creed. And there was a student there. These are divinity students. And the student, when he heard the talk, he asked the priest this. What can one do when one finds it impossible to affirm certain tenets of the creed? The priest responded, well, you just say it. It's not that hard to master. With a little effort, most can learn it by heart. I mean, she says to learn something by heart is a concept more in tune with the ancient world than our own. So we like to be at the level of belief up here. We have a harder time down here. And then she said, and the student, apparently feeling that he had been misunderstood, asked with some exasperation, well, what am I to do when I have difficulty affirming parts of the creed like the virgin birth? And he got the same response. You just say it. It will come to you eventually. And the student raised his voice. How can I with integrity affirm a creed in which I do not believe? And the priest replied, it's not your creed. It's our creed. It's not your creed. It's our creed. It's the church's creed. It's the creed of the community of faith of which I am a part of, of which I have been welcomed into, even with all of my doubts and my questions and my messiness. Right? And in some ways, for me, that's really freeing. That I belong to a community of faith that believes in God on those days when I have trouble believing in God. That, that I'm a part of a community of faith that has hope that God is actually up to something and He's doing something in this world and in my life even when I am struggling to have that hope. That I'm a part of a community of faith that confesses there is forgiveness for sin. And that we will experience resurrection. And that Jesus will come back one day and He'll make everything right again. I'm a part of a community of faith that believes that even on the days where I deeply struggle to believe that. And see, the creed is bigger than all of my doubts because it's not about me. It's about something that I'm a part of that's so much bigger than me. Kathleen Norris, as she reflects on this, she goes on to say this. What the Orthodox theologian had said made sense to me. It reflected my own experience. Years of anguishing over creeds and the language of belief. A struggle that I endured only because I dared hope that eventually the words wouldn't seem like theirs, but mine. See, if you find yourself carrying doubts, if you find yourself still laboring over specific theological or Bible questions and conundrums and things that just don't fit together and don't make sense. If you find yourself on some days only able to level just a little bit of, of level one belief, right? Layer one belief. If I ask you, does God care about you and love you? And you were like, um, I believe so. Like I'm, 
I think so, but I'm not totally sure. I'm struggling to actually fully believe that. I'm, I'm uncertain about it. If you even have that little belief, Jesus said, that's all it takes. Just a mustard seed. Just a poppy seed. Right? Maybe there's other days where we really do have deep trust in Him. Maybe there's other days where we have some intellectual certainty about things. Which, by the way, is a double-edged sword. Sometimes that can be dangerous. Maybe on most days we just say, I just have all sorts of belief and doubt all jumbled together. And it's hard to even separate them. And that's why we say the Apostles' Creed together. To remind ourselves that we're a part of something that's bigger than all of that confusion. We're part of something that's bigger than ourselves. We are a part of the community of faith. The communion of saints. As we were created and saved to be. Let me pray for us. God, um, we do bring our faith to you now as an act of worship, those areas of our lives where we do believe and we trust. And we also bring our doubts and our questions to you now also as an act of worship and trust. We want to entrust you with those things. And so, God, as we do that, I pray that you would meet us in that vulnerability and that you would increase our faith in you. I pray this in your name. Amen.